This is Coda Radio, episode 191 for February 8th, 2016. Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as your show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every week, trapped up in his tower of power, why yes folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Well, hello there, Michael. So... It is a tower, but it's very makeshift. I'm not sure I would say of power. Okay, so a tower of temporary stature. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, my, my L desk here, I just created out of two desks, two regular class desks that I got from consignment. Sure, just, sure. Yeah. That's okay. My tower is built out of Ikea furniture, so it's not much better off. It's, uh, this is, uh, boy, Mr. Dominic, speaking of being in shaky towers, uh, if you hear a sound that sounds like me falling over and my head smacking the microphone, just go on. Just just proceed. Um so I, uh, you know, as a small business owner, you sometimes are sort of the most important person in the, in the chain, the, in the, you know, and you don't want to be the weakest link either because it's all riding on you. And so today is one of those days I, I shouldn't be at work. I should not be here. I, uh, Take the day off. So I had some problems sleeping Friday night and I didn't, I didn't get any sleep. And, uh, Saturday night I tried a new sleeping arrangement with the kids to see if we could fix things and, uh, I didn't get any sleep. And then so last night, after the Linux Action Show, I went and did all my errands, did my grocery shopping and did laundry, and we had to do another thing at grocery shopping because I forgot something. And I'm like, okay, but now, about 8 o'clock, I'm going to go to bed, and I'm going to get the best night's sleep this week. And about 9 o'clock, I started coming down with weaponized Panda Express food poisoning. Like, full-on, probably the top, top worst food poisoning I've had. Was it actually Panda Express? Yeah, I think it was. It was either that or a sample from Costco, but the sample I got at Costco was a Zip Fizz water bottle. So I doubt it was that. And the only other thing I had that day was Panda Express. And, and I, you know the worst part is? I got the Panda Express primarily to troll Noah on last. <laughs> so I, uh, I tell you what, uh, I got a little bit of sleep between 6 a.m. And, and 8 a.m. So I got a little bit of sleep in, but it has... You ever been in that position where, like, if if you could call in sick to your own job, to your own business, you would like just I would not be yeah, here. I, yeah. I'm I'm perpetually in that position. <laughs> yeah, you know who else is in that position is I think perhaps one of the GitHub co-founders. Have you heard about this story? I have. I have indeed. I I'm really glad you grabbed this because a couple of. You know, it's funny how these things happen. So I saw a Hacker News thread prop up two weeks ago. And it said, um, what would you do if GitHub went away tomorrow? And I went, hmm. You know, I I suppose like, you know, immediately my first thought is, well, probably everybody has a local copy on their machine. But then my second thought was, no, this would actually screw up a lot of things. Because so much of the cloud is built around Git, push, and pull. Uh, You look at, you know, a lot of Linux distributions out there, uh, a lot of automated building testing systems, just assume GitHub is a thing. Uh, So uh, when I saw this thread, I asked on Linux Unplugged, I said, hey, guys, what would would you do tomorrow if uh, GitHub went away? 
I got a bunch of different answers. Nobody seemed to be too freaked out about it, but I'm curious, you know, especially as somebody who's even written an app around GitHub in the past, what would you do tomorrow, literally? Like, like actually conceptualize this. If you, we got on, uh, we woke up tomorrow morning, and you and I start tweeting each other, holy shit, GitHub just went away. Like, how would that impact you? Uh, you know, it really wouldn't. I mean, I, I suppose it would. There's some legacy stuff on, on GitHub that might have to be... I think it's all backed up, to be totally honest. And you're not you. using, like... A, Issue tracking no. up there and stuff like that. You're no, well, we're not even. I'm not even using their source control anymore. I'm using a Bitbucket, right? And you know, way back when I was using GitLab, right? So it, really, I haven't used GitHub, so to speak, yeah, for a long time. I mean, there's some open source stuff. There's the advantage of being able to be like, hey, here's the work we can do. But honestly, you could do that on. So, Bitbucket. what do you suppose makes them a two billion dollar startup? Because when I ask this question, everybody's like, well. I can still use Git. I can build, go set up my own GitLab. I, I, yeah, I, you know, I think it's like almost the network effect of it, right? It's that they have so many developers on there that they're just untouchable. Right. It's weird, right? There they, are people that ask, you know, it, it becomes part of the hiring process. It becomes, there's people who reference their GitHub work, right? Yeah, basically. And it has to be like, send us a GitHub link. So the scuttlebutt that's been brewing now for a few days is that GitHub is undergoing a full-blown overhaul as execs and employees are departing. And Business Insider says they have the full inside story. So $2 billion is what GitHub is evaluated at. Uh, you know, I think you could probably argue they're pretty important to a lot of popular sites. And, uh, and Business Insider is currently hearing these themes over and over again. Co-founder, CEO Chris Wansworth, uh, with support from the board, is radically changing the company's culture. Out with the flat organizational structure based purely on mitocracy and in with the supervisors and middle managers. This has ticked off many people in the old guard. So I want to full stop right there. Um, culture changes, right? They really can. They can, they can gut a company. It sounds, like a, it sounds like a silly thing, but culture changes really can gut a company and uh, can cause some serious talent loss. Yeah, yeah that's, that's a – we call that a bad thing, Chris. Yeah. Uh, so he says, uh, it goes on to say, it's once famous remote employee culture has been rolled back. Senior managers are no longer allowed to live afar and must report to the office. Uh, this was one reason why some senior execs departed or were asked to leave. One person close to the company told Business Insider. Ugh. So then, we run more, one more, oh, we got a couple more, sorry. Others tell us key technical people from the old days, like CTO Ted uh, Newman, maybe. And, and the third co-founder, PJ Hyatt, are mostly absent from the office and not contributing much technically. GitHub has hit hyper-growth, growing from 300 to nearly 500 employees in less than a year. Oh, my God. With over 70 people joining in the last quarter alone. Oh, my gosh. Some longer-term employees feel like there's a culture of fear where people uh, who don't support all the changes are being ousted, probably due to some of the layoffs. In addition to previously reported executive departures, Business Insider has also learned that Ryan Day, the VP of Business Development, Adam Zimmerman, Senior Director of Technology Partnerships, and Scott Buxton, the controller, have all left in the last six months. Buxton's departure was immediate. A GitHub spokesperson has declined to comment on this. They say we're trying to build a new uh, kind of enterprise company where the uh, playbooks of old won't always work. And that was it. (laughs) Uh, So you have, uh, you know... This is my layman's uh, estimation of what happens. But you have hyper-growth, you get hyper-funding, you get VC funding in there, and they want results for their investment. That money doesn't come without strings. Sure. I think a lot of us know that. So uh, what does that mean, though, when we say these things? Oh, that money doesn't come for, without strings. It's not, for, it's not a free lunch. That VC funding has costs. I think this is the cost. 
I think I think what what you see happening here is in order to develop a sustainable business that could generate revenue for a long time and not just make that money back for the investors, but make them even richer. You're going to have to target the enterprise. You're going to have to target businesses. You're going to have to build a company that improves business workflow and things like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I definitely agree that the enterprise is important, but I would say, you know, it's funny thinking about GitHub as a as a startup, right? Even yeah. though they're wildly, you know, it, worth two billion dollars, have been around. Uh, I should look, but I, I I I think for eight eight years. I'm not sure. Uh, 2009, maybe I have to look, but they've been around for a while. It's what, when do you cut off the whole, uh, startup theme? seems like it's like they've exceeded that. I'm looking right now to see if I can find out when they were established as a company. Um, GitHub looks like looking at, according to uh, the book of knowledge over at Wikipedia, February 8th, 2008, eight years ago. So there you go. There you go. That's not a startup. Not really. That's a company that's failed to to develop a uh, reliable business revenue model. That's what that's what that is. I mean, not to be mean, but it's not a startup. Uh, And I so I mean, I really do think, Mr. Dominic, I think this is if you're going to go enterprise, if you're going to go focus on business, you can't just say it. You have to structure your company in a way that makes it accommodating for those types of clients, and that's what I think what's happening. Don't you? I do. I, I also think. You know, I always found GitHub a little weird because for the type of projects I end up doing, the types of businesses I end up in, um, you know, it's actually incredibly expensive. Chatroom points out today's GitHub's birthday. Today is February 8th. Happy birthday. Amazing that this story is coming out on their birthday. Hmm. Well, yeah, it came out a couple days ago. But, yeah, okay, that's true. Okay, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it's just odd that they're, they're this huge company and they're so expensive for like high repo, let's say low revenue type things or personal projects or whatever. But they can't seem. You know, I got the impression that they were they were having a hard time with the enterprise sales, right? Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. I mean, no one knows what their numbers are. But I think I think it's it's sort of a tough proposition. And that's a lot of that's a lot of uh, intellectual See, property. Is, this is where I don't understand. Why is this a tough proposition? I mean, enterprises buy stuff all the time. GitHub. No, hold on. Yeah, I lost you. Come back. GitHub is a quality product. Yeah. So why would it be a tough sell, in your opinion? Well, I guess it depends on how it's implemented. Is it uh, in this in this version that you're talking about? Do you foresee this being on premises, or do you see this being a hosted solution? No, it is on prem. So I used well, to have to support them at CodeJournal. There, it's like your own little GitHub in a box kind of thing. So it's like GitLab, but you buy it from them. And it's got probably service. Yeah, and, basically. Well, yeah, uh, that does seem like a viable solution to me. That seems like a, that seems like a pretty uh, anything you can do that anything that you can do because here's why I think it's a good viable solution. It's gonna help. It's gonna help with workflows in software development inside a business, and you have a lot of talent that's now coming in that just knows the system inside and out. People right. know Git. People are familiar with all of this. They're, and and so it is a huge benefit to a business to be able to have that workflow internally. Not only that, but it's attractive. To potential employees too, to be able to just take your you know your expert workflow and apply it to your new job, and and, and as you and I have talked about, one of the most expensive and, and risky things you do in a business is hire people. And so if you can hire somebody that's walking through the door with a knowledge that you know will help them sit down and get the job done a little faster, that's extremely valuable. So I think they I think they will do it. I just so is the question more, and this is kind of what the article gets to, it's a culture clash, right? Mm-hmm. That seems to be their implication, yeah. 
Yeah, see, that's that's just a tough. Because you have you had a flat you had a flat organization before without a lot of middle management, and people could go right up, you know, and right. and now now it's an overhaul. Uh, the company has been reportedly cash flow positive positive since its earliest days and expected to bring in more than twenty five million this quarter. So they are making money, which puts it back on track to a hundred million in annual revenue. Okay, that's good to know. Current CEO became CEO in 2014 after GitHub was embroiled in a sexual harassment scandal by a female employee who quit. GitHub's own internal investigation determined that no sexual harassment took place, but said there were other leadership issues going on. Yeah, I bet. About a year ago, uh, they also phased out the company's old uh, structure where no one had any managers. So this has been going on for a while. Right. Complete with middle managers. No, God, how nice would that be? Wow. I would hate that, too. If you, if you, if you, if you got to work at a place where there was no middle management... And then all of yeah. a sudden... Yeah, it seems a little magical, though, right? No, Valve pulls it off, but yeah, I agree. Especially if you want businesses to take you seriously. That seems to be the big thing. So does it give you any pause or any other thoughts? Uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a tough challenge because I'm, they have to decide who they want to be, right? And that's always going to be hard. No matter who you are. Figuring out what market you want to target, where you want to go, is, is hard, right? Yeah, especially when you have a valuation like that. <clears throat> well, now I guess we just get to sit back and see what happens, and we all have a front row seat. <laughs> and, watch it go. Yeah, and it's it's a good reminder to uh, to just think of these things as you become more dependent on services. Think what would happen if they went away tomorrow. So, all right, Mr. Dominic. Well, we have. Um, Something else to jump into. You got some great links this week. You really did some I, I, some scouting. I was, I was doing the scavenging. Yeah, some scavenging, you know, like a hunter-gatherer only for podcasting and way less dangerous. <laughs> Let me tell you something else you can hunter-gather. That's an education over at Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Visiting there, going there, it supports the show. It lets them know you heard about it here, and you appreciate them keeping us on the air. It's how this works, and you can go there to get a discount on the Linux Academy subscription. Linux Academy is a platform for learning all of the technology stack around Linux. 2,300 self-paced courses. I swear, it goes up constantly. 2,300 videos where you can obtain experience you need to learn and practice on lab servers provided by the Linux Academy. Seven-plus distros you get to choose from. They have scenario-based labs. You work in their advanced live lab environment, completing task scenarios beginning to end. Instructor help is available, which is a really big deal in this kind of topic material. And graded server exercises. Automatically, your server exercises get graded while you're committing the actions so you can see how well you did. This is such a great way when you have a little bit of test anxiety. If you want to get into Android development or Python or Ruby or PHP even, don't tell Mike, but they got courses on it. Amazon Web Services? Yes, absolutely. And that is a particularly tricky proposition, so it's a great way to go learn first before you go work on it. In-depth resources, really good stuff, downloadable comprehensive PDF guides, Things you can listen to while you're in the shower. People do that. I guess they have shower thoughts. <laughs> a, a community that's stacked full of Jupiter Broadcasting members who are constantly helping push each other. Detailed notes, the practice exams, enhanced learning platforms. This is a really good one if you're busy. It's just as simple as putting in your daily availability, how much study time you have, and their special algorithm creates a detailed learning plan with reminders and daily assignments, labs, and quizzes that are due. It also create an expected completion date that helps you schedule, which actually is really nice. It really helps me wrap my head around that stuff, seeing it like that. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Go learn more about them and support this show. It's a great opportunity to invest in yourself. linuxacademy.com 
slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. It is a great service. So uh, we have our next story that has been sleuthed by our scavenger, Mr. Dominic. Is this a presentation from London? Uh, tell me about Project Rider, the C-sharp IDE. Uh, yes, Project Rider. That is the good folks at JetBrains. Mm, our really? favorite people who need to start sending us money, though. Yeah, we talk about them a lot now. Yeah, we're, so what we're is JetBrains? Oh, yeah, of course, blog.jetbrains.com. Boy, I am yep. sick. I am it slow on the uptake today. You're, you're, a little, uh, you're a little special today. Yeah. I mean, I'm here. Yeah. I'm here fiddling with ISOs, so that's, that's Oh, nice. yeah, we didn't even mention that Mike was doing a live Ubuntu install during the show. How Shh, is that going? Don't tell them. Oh, Shh. it's not going well? <laughs> I forgot to go to DVD. <laughs> you got to do thumb uh, drives. It's all about the thumb I'm, drives now. Yeah, I'm trying. Uh, so Project Rider is JetBrains' C-sharp cross-platform IDE. Just let that sink in. Just waft it. Chris, are you wafting? Yeah, so I'm, I've got... A bouquet of concept here, I think. I love that. <laughs> so this was a live event, uh, 11 through 15. Are they announcing this there? Is this something I should know about already? Tell me about Project Writer, the C-sharp cross-development IDE. That's pretty cool. You know, it's kind of magical. And it's disappointing that you can't try it out yet. But supposedly, and I have no reason not to believe this, because, I mean, I literally use RubyMine. I use uh, – in fact, I'm starting to use WebStorm because, huh. you know, IntelliSense is a magical thing. Yeah, uh, so, this is, code. so this is built on the IntelliJ platform. Right. So if you're familiar with any of those IDs, IntelliJ, Android Studio, any of those kind of guys – by the way, Android Studio too. just went into beta. Go check it out. Ooh. You will presumably be at home in Project Writer. Uh, they showed some screenshots. They showed some videos. All the same great refactoring tools you're used to. Really, I'm hopeful. I'm a little skeptical. Like how, you know, is there a demand for this? Would be my right. Who's writing C sharp? That's not Xamarin, and that isn't uh, that well, wants to do a cross. Don't you think that they're maybe skating to where the puck's going to be at? Because now that Microsoft has just dropped all that code for uh, C sharp at open source. Um, Seems like there's got to be people that are going to be picking this up for internal projects, all kinds of stuff now. This might be really good timing, actually. You know, the thing about Microsoft open sourcing it is it is sort of an implicit callout for tools that are separated out from their platform to work with it. And this is sort of answering that implicit call. This is really cool. It looks pretty good, too. The UI is not bad. It looks very familiar, I guess, is the way to put it. Uh, huh. I'm going to have a link to the full video in the show notes if you guys want to check it out. How's the install going, Mr. Dominic? Uh, it is going. We are trying to create a bootable disk on Windows 10, which is shockingly hard. Yeah. You know, um, I think Microsoft actually puts out an ISO to, to – there is somebody out there. I wonder if the uh, – you know, there's also the SUS image writer. I wonder if they make that available for Windows. I'm using something called Rufus, but it's going a little too fast for me to actually believe that it's working. Oh, yeah, yeah. Rufus, yeah. Yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with Rufus. Here, I'm going to put hey. a link – I'll put a link in the, uh, in the IRC. This okay. is uh, OpenSUSE project makes an image writer that's meant – and essentially, it'll, it'll check the ISO, and if the ISO looks good, it'll just give you a button to click burn, and uh, it's always worked really well for me under Windows. See, At least I think they make it under Windows. Back in the old DVD drive <clears throat> days, this was a ton easier. <laughs> like, oh, they say, really. not, uh, they say it's not maintained anymore. Well, what do you know? You know, it slowed down to a crawl, so maybe this is actually working. Oh, that, isn't that funny how that makes you feel? That's like back in the day. That's why I liked hearing my drive access when I was writing to a floppy and when I was accessing my hard drive. 
so I actually knew my computer was working. I wish I could just have those same sound effects, but with SSD speeds. Well, the only <laughs> the only thing that I'm not particularly comfortable with is it it suggested that FAT32 be the format. Mm. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Hmm. I don't know. That but might work, though. That might actually work, because is that neutral enough that it... Uh, yeah, it depends on the boot CD. See, uh, I put, see, I know how to do this on Mac from the command line. Yeah. But, of course, I put the USB, and for some reason, I can't even see it in disk utility mm. or on command line. I wonder if that's... Thanks that's to handy. That's super targets. handy. Yeah, so we're trying it on Windows. So, uh, Imacon linked you to Win32 Disk Imager. Awesome. Which, which looks like it's basically DD for Windows, which will probably get you going. It's probably... It's yeah. probably the way to go. Yeah. All right. Well, th- it, it may take longer than the show to get this baby done. Oh, wait. Or we, okay. See, we're going at a very sporadic pace here. Uh, it's a little scary. So they're calling it Project Rider. The ID includes yes. a lot of functionality that you're already familiar with from ReSharper, uh, IntelliJ-based IDEs such as quick fixes, inspections, and smart navigation. And while ReSharper is hosted inside Visual Studio, Project Rider is a full standalone ID. What does that mean? It's its own IDE, right? So... So it can be hosted inside Visual Studio or ran standalone. Well, they have uh, no. They have a product called ReSharper. Oh, oh ReSharper, right. right? That is an add-on to yeah. Visual Studio. I was getting that mixed up with Writer because my brain's mush. Yeah, uh, that's fine. yeah. so that's yeah. pretty. They say it's early, but they already have a bunch of features available. There's, so they're really making some good progress on this. Man, look at them cranking. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty interested in this only because I, I recently at gunpoint was forced to do some Xamarin development again, and. Uh, Hmm. Yeah. Multiple runtime support project writers supports the .NET framework and Mono. It includes templates for creating new projects, and when you create an empty project, it is really, so, truly empty. So my question, and, and in fact, a listener to the show, Anthony, sent us this uh, several times on Twitter. He's very excited. Why do you want this? I mean, is it because you want to do ASP from Linux or Mac? Or, I mean, are you doing Xamarin? I'm, I'm trying to understand... Huh. You know, because if I'm a .NET developer, mm-hmm. I, I don't I just want Visual Studio? Aren't I happy? I mean, isn't it good enough for you, Chris? Well, I see. I think I see. I, that's what I was trying to say earlier. Is I think it's moving beyond Visual so Studio. This is, this is not going to try to like. Com- so you're saying this is not for the guys who've been working in VS for 20 years? No, okay. no. I think this is for a new audience that that, that knows uh, JetBrains. You know, this is a new audience that is now working with something that's been committed to open source. I, you know, you, we talk about this all the time. The most common use case for something like this is going to be the, the thousands and thousands and thousands of men and women who get hired inside a business to write internal applications to support business functions. Right, the dark matter developers. Yeah. And for them, uh, they might not be a .NET shop. Maybe they're a Linux shop. Maybe they're a Mac shop. Maybe they're a mix, right? And so maybe they have Linux servers and, you know, who knows? But I could definitely see this appealing to a whole new category of future .NET developers. Plus, maybe you don't want all the crap of Visual Studio. It's a massive install. Some people like, just get weird about that kind of thing. Not like we used to, but that used to be a really big deal when you're installing like software that took up like 10 gigs of space. Oh my gosh. All right, so then my next question is going to be, you're a .NET developer. You're, let's, let's just say you're writing like MVC5 applications, right? Are you now hosting them on Linux? No. Why not? Really? Well, why? I mean, if because it just seems like you're swimming upstream, right? Like every step of the way, you've taken a harder path. Yeah, that's true. Than you could have, you know, done. Yeah, maybe they'll maybe 
don't know. Maybe JetBrains will change that. I don't know. I mean, I'm not not trying to be like a, a, a critic at all. If you know, C sharp is a great language. If this makes sense and this is something that's you know viable, awesome. Um, certainly, I would rather work in a JetBrains IDE than Visual Studio because I've been working in JetBrains IDE for a very very long time, mm. starting with. Uh, versions of IntelliJ from from years ago. There you go. So I, I'd be really happy, but I guess I just wonder, you know, if we're not targeting current Microsoft developers and we're saying that, you know, they're just happy in their own Visual Studio world, everything's kind of packaged to them the way it comes. Then are there is there a critical mass of people from outside that community who also want to use heavy IDs? Because let's be honest, the JetBrains IDs are not. You know, it, you're not coding in Vim here, right? This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is a pretty serious ID. Yeah. You know, your, your RAM usage goes right up, right? Uh, the, how much overlap, or, or how, I guess how big is that group of people, right? People who who don't want to run Windows necessarily are interested in running a heavy ID and are interested in .NET development. Yeah, like Dark Matter Dev in the chat room says, if I'm writing C-sharp for a company, chances are they're a window shop across the full stack. I agree with that, that, that too. That's what my thing is. I've never had someone call and say, yeah. you know, Mike, we, 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 we want to get something done. We're a .NET shop. And, of course, we're running this on Debian. Could it be five years down the road, though? That's a hell of a gamble. I mean, that's... Yeah. I think maybe, they're, maybe their market's more like people like you or Micah in the chat room. But yeah, it, I I don't know. I, I feel like if anybody was going to do it, though, they're a good company to do it. Yeah, I feel like if anyone can pull this off, it's them. Yeah. And, I mean, maybe they're planning on some deep ties into Xamarin, and then it makes a ton of sense, right? Because Xamarin Studio is not exactly awesome, uh, at least compared to like AppCode and, and Android Studio. Mm-hmm. So I could totally see, you know, doing Xamarin development. Yeah, I would definitely buy whatever they're going to call Project Writer, and I would definitely want to be using that. Huh. So people have been pretty excited online about this in our audience. Yeah, oh, they really have. They've been like... <laughs> so I'd like to know. I mean, what do you guys think? Coderadio.reddit.com. There'll be a feedback thread in there for one nine to one. And you can let us know or uh, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Or, you know, you join us live. JBLive.tv. We do show on Mondays, noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. Hmm. So Good find, Mr. Dominic. All right. Let me tell you about something else that's a great find. Friends over at DigitalOcean. This really is a great find. I set up a couple of DigitalOcean droplets over the weekend, uh, well, actually a couple of days before the weekend, to try out a couple of Slack alternatives, Mattermost and Rocket Chat. I heard that just now. Yeah, really cool, really cool. And, you know, one of the things that uh, doesn't get mentioned enough but is super, super nice is you can deploy an entire stack of an image um, that has, like, Ubuntu 14.04, Nginx, um, Docker and uh, boy, there was something else I had already set up in there that I needed. I'm, I'm forgetting right now because my brain is numb. But I tell you what, Mike, being able to just do that—that that's obvious when you're setting it up. But the other thing that is really, really nice about having an image of a of a just all standard open source software pre-configured in a sensible matter that you just deploy and then finish up a few things and you're ready to go. It's all current. It's it's really fast. But the other thing is. You can revert back to that base image without losing all of your other settings, like your DNS and any of your backup settings and things like that. So it's a really straightforward way when you're like, oh, man, this project went south. And honestly, it just would be a lot quicker just to reload it. Well, now when I reload it, I reload it with 
Ubuntu and Nginx and Docker all just ready to go. I don't have to do anything. Saves me 15, 20 minutes per machine. And it is really nice because it's like a zero cost up. Let's go back and start with a fresh install and validate this. I love that functionality. So for less than $5 a month, and if you use our promo code CODERDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit. You can get started with a rig with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, a blazing fast CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. I went, I, I went fancy. I went with their two $40 a month rigs. They're just incredible machines, like with four terabytes of RAM. Uh, it's just nuts. I mean, four ter- I can't even actually. You know what? You can check. You go to their pricing page. It's really straightforward. Uh, four gigs of RAM, two core processor, 60 gigabyte SSD, and four terabytes of transfer. It's just amazing. They do rock. They do. And they have a great interface on top of it with a straightforward API. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL and go deploy your own rig for testing or production. That's why I went with the $40 one because it works out to be $0.06 an hour. So if I only used it for a couple of hours, big whoop. And if I decided to keep it, well, then it's it's production ready. It's, you know, it's powerful enough. So that's really nice. CODERDIGITAL. Big thanks to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. We have a breakup letter with the internet here, uh, coming from Parse. This is kind of sad. Oh, yes. It's very sad for some of us. Yeah. Oh, very. Sp- particularly for you. Yes. Uh, Backpoints is written on Parse. <sighs> yep. Jeez Louise. Oh, my gosh. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so that's Mike's app that he released uh, a couple months ago, I think it was, or something. Yeah, about two months ago. Yeah. So, launches, and then, oh, by the way... Yeah, so we have a difficult announcement to make. We understand yeah. this won't be easy transition, and we're working hard to make this process as easy as possible. Oh, well, good news there, Mike. So hey, thanks, guys. They're releasing a database migration tool that allows allow you to move ParseApp to any MongoDB database. Uh, yeah. This happens. Uh, did you see it coming? Uh, no, not at all, actually. Nope. Did not see it coming. Hmm. I feel like there's a lesson in here. Feel like. Yeah, so, you know, I've been burned by this before, back in the day with CodeJournal and, like, GitHub changing things or going down and getting the, let's just say, waves of hate mail. Right, it's all your fault. It's all your fault. Your, this 499 app is terrible because <laughs> GitHub went down. <laughs> um, Parse, however, I, I have to give them credit for it, uh, did a really good job. So they've actually open sourced the Parse toolkit. Yeah, okay. Parse platform. You can run Parse on your own DigitalOcean server. Hmm. Oh, they're releasing the Parse server. That's nice. Yes. I mean, you have to change your endpoint and presumably do a little bit of, uh, you know, Set tweaking. And tweaking, yeah. You can also export everything to a MongoDB DB database and kind of transition to more of your own solution that way. All right. This is, this is at least something. Right. And you have a year to do it. So it's not awful. Hmm. Wow. Okay. Now it's getting to one of the smoother shutdowns I've seen. Right. So realistically, you'll have one late night of downtime, right? And you'll hopefully switch right over. The complication will be, of course, is if your app is a native iOS app and you have to go through Apple Review. Or getting people to update the version of the app is also a concern. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Since you have to hard code the endpoint to the URL. Yeah. Yeah. So that's going to be a little bit of a support issue. Yeah, that's it's 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 you know you have a year to deal with it. So you know, off the top of my head, there's a couple ways you could do it, right? You could say, oh, if parse is unreachable, unreachable, I'll set up this other instance in parallel and just jump to that instance. Sure. Then in every iteration, you get further and further from that until one day you just flip the switch to go all the way to the other instance. Mm-hmm. 
The problem, of course, is then you may have a data synchronization question mm. regarding mm-hmm. parse. And mm-hmm. Call it your own parse, right? Hmm. I'm reading their guide right now. It doesn't seem like it's that. It's awful. not that terrible. Yeah. yeah. I'm sorry about that, Mr. Dominic. I'm, no, that's no, no. It's uh, you know, there, there is a wider conversation to be had about like you're building these mobile applications. Obviously, time is of the essence. You don't want to invest too much. You want a minimum viable project uh, product. Mm-hmm. So you might take one of these shortcuts and then get demolished. <sighs> yeah, really. And now, I mean, it's thankfully in the case of Parse, they've given you an exit strategy that's manageable. This is sort of your best case scenario for this type of event. Absolutely, and we are on the grub screen. Oh, hey, well done, sir. You got it. Was it the uh, was it the link that in a in a in a go go? Uh, no, Rufus. Uh, oh, Rufus so did, far it. did it. Rufus did it. And Good. Corrupt, but yeah. Uh, so yeah. So we should we just tell them? I mean, yeah. I have been in secret forging a master VMware VM of Ubuntu fourteen oh three. Fourteen oh four. Was it fourteen oh four? I think so. Yeah, April. I wasn't paying. Yeah, it was yeah. whatever the most recent mm-hmm. uh, LTS. LTS. Right. And today, on what we let's call it a whim. <laughs> I decided that I'm just going to go ahead and uh, and install Ubuntu on a spare one of those very cheap, very thin little Dell towers mm-hmm. that has no graphics card. Oh, good! Straight up Intel inside. Uh huh. Should be a good time. I wonder uh, is it is it the same for you? Like it is for me? Like I'll try something in VMware or you know whatever virtualization it is, and that just feels like a tease. Like I'm like I bet this would be even better if it was on physical hardware, even if it's older physical hardware. I feel like it'd be better. Well, I started like really, really getting down into okay. Um. Uh, I don't know a nice way to say this, but like I'm busy and I'm trying to use like four workstations at once. Mm-hmm. You know the little workstation feature mm-hmm. you don't talk um, the virtual desktops or yeah, yeah. oh and also i i did try a mate how do you properly say i think that? mate I keep, is correct okay i keep saying mate um and i tried gnome 3 a couple months ago gnome 3 i thought was terrible <laughs> uh, kde is still terrible yeah. you guys haven't changed since 2006 oh wow um but no so unity not so bad i went with unity though I did not. I thought they stopped the whole buy this on Amazon thing. Yeah, apparently. yeah, that's the thing that's stopping soon. It's very okay. easy to turn off now. But uh, yeah, I, I went with Unity only because you know what? Yes, I was a previous Linux user. Yes, I admin Linux servers all the time on Do. But I, I just know I don't like the way it looks. I think actually, it's a. I think so. You're going fifteen ten now, and I think uh, down the road in April. When sixteen oh four comes out, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be one of their better releases for a long time. Right, and I'm not looking to be on the bleeding edge as the other side of this, right? So I might I may hold off. You could, yeah, you could, and then and then when you're ready to go to their latest yeah. LTS, then you you know let a few months cook and see how things shake out. But, but I, I really agonized over the uh, the desktop choice. Mm-hmm. You know, Mate almost had it. It was it was surprisingly close. Yeah, it's very familiar feeling. Very, you, you almost immediately feel very productive because it's so familiarly laid out. Yeah, and it, it just makes sense. But mm-hmm. Unity was pretty. Yeah, I, you know, the thing for me is the nice thing about having the persistent side dock in in any OS is um, when my hand is on the mouse, that is a nice way to task switch. Because I can see my running applications and I can click them. I generally use the keyboard, but when my house, when my hand is already on the mouse, I like it. And and yeah, I actually think, especially if you're you know more familiar with uh, 
Windows 10 and Mac OS. I think Unity is a great way to go. So the good old Mac OS. You know what the chat room wanted me to talk you into was doing a week challenge of the Ubuntu tablet when it ships in Q2, which is a convergence device. It's a 10 inch Ubuntu I tablet. Would, I would totally try it, but I'm not going to buy it. Ubuntu tablet versus iPad Pro. That I'd be curious about. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one. <laughs> so, so, so this brings up my next point. What is the the dominant Ubuntu development environment? Right. That's a question. Oh well, I you know, I think it's in transition. I think I think they're you know today it would be your typical GTK development environment, but I think tomorrow. It's going to be Qt Creator, and and whatever maybe customizations they do to that. I don't know really? if they're going to call it. So yeah. I'm, I'm seeing a ton about like Vala. Oh, Vala, I think has a lot of traction in like distros like uh, Elementary and things like that. So it's happening a lot. Vala looks very sexy to me. Maybe I'm just a weirdo. No, they they seem to love it. I've heard a lot of good things about Vala. It might be worth uh, glancing at. And and have we considered Swift? <laughs> I don't. I haven't heard a lot of talk about Swift for Linux desktop apps recently. You haven't heard a lot of talk yet. No, yet. Yeah, yeah. That's probably a good way to put it. Yeah. <laughs> so, just... so the installation is going to kick off. I'll be curious to hear. Maybe give us an update next week on how yep. it went. It's telling me I don't know my Wi-Fi password, so we'll just keep moving. Good. Good. Um, things are looking good already. Things are looking good. <laughs> All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, coderadio.reddit.com is a place I like to mention. Why do I like to mention it? Because it's a place you can go out there. Yes, you contribute to the show adjust content push it in your own direction if you will jblive.tv is where we do it live jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contacts how you contact us all those things are great mr dominic anywhere you want to send folks throughout the week just at jumanuka on twitter i love it follow me on twitter too at chris las and the network at jupiter signal hey i made it i didn't keel over from food poisoning i think the fever's back but we made it through the whole show all right everybody you've been on a mac of course you feel sick i have not i have not Your connection established. (laughs) Thanks for tuning this week's episode of Coda Radio. See you back here next week.